Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Hi, this is John. This week on The Cinephiles, Steve and I break down 1963's The Nutty Professor, starring the late, great Jerry Lewis, and also starring Stella Stevens. Jerry Lewis wrote and directed this incredible film, and it is the one film people cite all the time when they talk about his comedic genius. Jerry Lewis has a special place in my heart. I grew up learning everything about comedy from Jerry Lewis, watching his movies as a solo star and also as a co-star with Dean Martin. I enjoyed so much about his comedy, and it painted how I looked at other comics as I got older. And also, my family and I would always get together and watch the Muscular Dystrophy Telethon whenever it was on on Labor Day weekend. We'd sit and watch the latest and greatest entertainers, and we'd see Jerry Lewis in his element as the master of ceremonies. Steve doesn't always hold the greatest feeling about Jerry Lewis, so this is an interesting episode between the two of us. So sit back, relax, and listen to us on The Cinephiles as we break down 1963's The Nutty Professor. Where you going, Mac? Now that your desperate attempt at having a good time is flunked, have no fear. Buddy's here. <laughs> Welcome once again to The Cinephiles, where each week we enter the world of a great film. We explore its themes, the history, the filmmaking, and the influence it has on us today. My name is Steve Morris. I'm a filmmaker and directing instructor from Los Angeles, California. Hello, everyone. My name is John Roca. I'm a voiceover artist, host, writer, producer, blah, blah. My titles keep growing. It's true. As the more this show goes on, which is really interesting. So I, I, I feel almost self-conscious now saying this stuff. Well, right? my titles remain exactly the same. <laughs> Um, I could add some. <laughs> you already did the what a oh, couple, a, a yeah, couple of episodes true, ago. Did. Yeah, you did. Yeah. So, um, uh, but yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 and occasionally, person here in Los Angeles. There you go. That's all I can say. <laughs> a man about town. Yes, yeah, right. A man, a man about, about town. town like Buddy Love. Yeah, that's right. A man Much about town. Much like Buddy Love. <laughs> yeah, Buddy right. Love is truly a man about town. And Buddy Love comes from the film we're talking about today, which is, of course, The Nutty Professor. And uh, we're doing this because the great and I will say legendary Jerry Lewis. Sure. Passed away a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and as soon as it happened, we, you know, as we always do, we exchanged a couple of texts saying, "Well, what should we do?" And it came down to two films: was really we're going to do King of Comedy, right. or we're going to do Nutty Professor. Yeah, and they are as different as different can be. Yeah, and what I think, you know, we finally decided was, well, King of Comedy is a remarkable movie, and one I'd like to talk about on the show. Sure, sure. 
Nutty Professor is the pinnacle of him as an auteur filmmaker. Absolutely. Whereas King of Comedy is a Scorsese film with De Niro, and it's a whole other thing. And that, that's kind of how we decided on this one. Yeah, because uh, King of Comedy is Rupert Pupkin's journey, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, De Niro's character, whereas Nutty Professor is very much about his journey here, a buddy loves journey. And the, the, I can't remember the name of the character who, who he plays when he's the doctor, professor uh, Klepp, professor Klepp. Klepp. That's it. His, um, his journey. But it's, but it's also, this is Jerry Lewis as the writer, the director, yeah. the producer, the auteur, the con- total control of this film. Yeah. And this is, I would say him at his peak. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so, so it's definitely worth talking about it. And, you know, as we were talking about it, we discovered very quickly that Jerry Lewis is your guy yeah. far more than he's my guy. <laughs> I know. This is interesting. You, we, we, we've done this on the show a few times, actually, on your end and my end. Like, sometimes things don't necessarily... Like you said, French Connection, that's not your kind of film. That's not yeah. your film. It's not one you go yeah. back to. Right. Uh, or Jackie Chan. Or Jackie Chan. It's not, yeah, it's not yeah, your it's thing. It's huge for me. Right. And I wouldn't... I just, I, there's a million of them on Netflix... I will cycle through the Jackie Chan movies and I will almost never stop to watch one. Right. You know, and it's just like, it's certain things just appeal to you. And for me, this is just from since I was a child, he was right. someone that was a, always accompanying me as I grew up with his films, with his humor, uh, with his muscular dystrophy association sure. telethons. Well, that, you know, for that's those, the stuff I grew up on. Yeah, those who are our age, that yeah. was a staple oh, yeah. of our childhood. Mm-hmm. You know, and back in the days of three channels. Yeah. Everybody was watching that telethon. Yep. Like we, you know, growing up in the seventies, this was an event, and we all watched it. Mm-hmm. And I went to school, and every kid at school had watched it. Yeah, yeah. For those of you who don't remember, Muscular the Association telethon happened. What three days over three days, or was it five days, or was it a week? Well, it was it was over. I think Labor Day weekend. Yeah, over Labor Day weekend. Yeah. Right, and it, it was, was twenty four hours a day. Yeah, both from the central national stations and then to the local stations as well with almost no commercials. And so if you were anybody at that time, you wanted to at least make an appearance on that show as an entertainer. And if you were starting out, you were really jockeying to have a Mm. prime time position on those shows to be showcased. And Jerry Lewis was the MC master of ceremonies yeah. for 45 years and he raised something like 1.5 billion dollars or something over at the, least yeah over yeah, yeah, yeah. O- over the 40 years of doing it yeah yeah um well and so so since it was your guy you mm-hmm. kind of said you know that you wanted to take over telling us the story of jerry lewis and it's, yeah. it is quite a story yeah it's an interesting one so if you're listening now i would encourage you to just kind of lay back sit back <laughs> enjoy the tenor of my voice because this is a very long biography uh, of Jerry Lewis. So if, with Steve's permission, I shall begin. You have my permission, sir. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Well, he's born in March, on March 16th, 1926 in New Jersey. Uh, he is born to two parents who are both performers. His right. dad is a vaudeville performer uh, and they're Russian Jewish parents. He was an MC as well and did a lot of vaudeville. Uh, his dad and his mom, Rachel Ray Levich, was a piano player for a radio station. His dad's name, uh, what do I have? I have his dad's name here somewhere. Oh, Daniel Damn. Levich. So there's yeah. both of them, Daniel Levich. So th- there it is. And he's, like I said, Russian Jewish parents. So already the in, it's instilled this idea of you know the, the connection of not feeling 100% like part of the society. This idea to play around, this idea of being part of the entertainment world, right? He starts entertaining at five years old. Yep. At five years old, he's entertaining. And he does this for a little while. And then at 15, he develops his own act, takes it to the Catskills, New York's, and his act is mimicking songs of the time. He plays the records, and then he mimics them, making these faces as he's mimicking these songs. This is how he first comes to prominence 
as a solo performer. And it's very reminiscent of what Andy Kaufman does. Just going to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when this you... is what we're going to see throughout Jerry Lewis is mm-hmm. that they're over and over again, we're going to see who in who he influenced, and the list is so long. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think still he's influencing absolutely. people who come around now with his kind of humor, right? So he does all this. He changes his name. Uh, for, he used the professional name of Joey Lewis, but changed it to Jerry Lewis to avoid confusion with Joe Lewis, who was popular at the time, and Joe E. Lewis, who was another comedian right. who we've seen before in uh, uh, Some Like It Hot. Oh, that's right. That's at right. At the end of Some Like It Hot, right. So he drops out of high school in 10th grade. He gets rejected to, be, to stay becoming a performer. He gets rejected from going to World War II because of a heart murmur, yep. which, is, uh, which is ironically what he ends up dying of right. later on is a heart disease. So he moves on. He forms a partnership with Dean Martin in 1946. This is a 10-year partnership. Where they, do, they do a number of films. Right? And Dean Martin is also starting out as a singer. You know, he, he, it's, This is before the Rat Pack days. This is him kind of you know, doing his thing. And it's, you couldn't ask for two more completely different people, Jerry Lewis, the cut-up, the, 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 the big wild performer, the loud one, the doing all this thing. And, and Dean Martin honing this uh, smooth, persona, the yeah. smooth, yeah, drinking, singing his songs very smoothly, do all of that. So it's a great juxtaposition. They do a bunch of movies during this time. And they start initially doing a television show first right. together on, for NBC. And one of their writers is Norman Lear, yep. who Jerry Lewis hires. Yeah. It's amazing. That's, it just tells you the quality of that time. If you read Norman Lear's autobiography, yeah. which is really good, he has a whole section talking about working with them. And sounds like it was a lot. <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> so, sure. Sounds like they were, they were a lot of personality. <laughs> yeah. and, and the thing, to, from what I, the reading I've done yeah. is that Martin and Lewis, it's like the Beatles. It's like mm-hmm. Elvis. It's yep. the, we cannot imagine from the. There's some chemistry between them yep. that apparently the moment they walked onto stage the first time with no act and yeah. just made it up, and from that moment on, the people. There's one story which you probably saw in your research that amazed yep. me was they did like eight or nine days at the Paramount Theater in New mm-hmm. York City and did eight eight shows a day. Eight or shows so, a day. Eight shows a day, yep. and made six hundred thousand dollars in one week. Yep, that is like. That's insane. That's madness. madness. And $600,000 for that time yeah. is insane. When, when a candy bar was a nickel. Yeah. That's... We don't make that much in a week doing the cinephiles. <laughs> we really don't. Yet. Come on, Patreon people. <laughs> get on it. Uh, Patreon.com no, no, no. slash the cinephiles. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so he does, they do. Uh, here's the films. My friend Irma Goes West at War with the Army. That's My Boy, which is one of my favorite films where he's with his dad. You know, he's mm. going to be a freshman in college. And all of these films, and this is really interesting, this is a theme you'll see through a lot of the Jerry Lewis films, from the Martin Lewis films to his own solo films. It's, and to the film we're talking about today, it's very much about embracing who you are as a person. It's this theme yeah. underneath yeah. all his films, this idea of be yourself. Be okay with yourself. There's a great line, which we'll get to later on in the movie, I'm sure, when we end up talking about it, is what Jerry Lewis says at the end of his speech uh, when he's c- c- you know coming back to being the professor. He says, you have to learn to love yourself because you're going to be living with yourself for a long time. And yep. that's huge, right? Yep. Uh, uh, and that's why That's My Boy sticks out for me because that's one of those ones where he has – he's trying to impress his father who's being this domineering football star and Jerry Lewis can't quite get there. And finally at the end, his, he's searching for this approval from his father and his father says at the end, I just want you to be happy being you because I love you as you. And it's so huge. And so, like I said, it goes through all these films. Scared Stiff, Money from Home, Living It Up, Three Ring Circus. 
You're Never Too Young. Just a parade of films. They had 16 movies that were produced by Hal B. Wallace, which is, and then they even do a comic book through DC Comics yep. called The Adventures of Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis from 1952 to 1957. They appear on a number of game shows. But things start to, you start to see as the movies progress that Jerry Lewis becomes more and more uh, the impetus for the movies. And Dean Martin becomes more and more of an attachment, an accoutrement, yeah. and not necessarily an equal player in these movies. And very unlike what you saw with um, Bing Crosby and Bob right. Hope. The Crosby yeah. and Hope movies were completely different. The road to movies, very equal all the way around. Right. right? And Bob Hope was very, were very, very... Uh, fine not being the ladies' man in these films. But Jerry Lewis was pushing more and more to be central to these films, and Dean was moving more and more to the side because he doesn't have that personality to want to be the center. Well, well it seems like that Jerry Lewis is the driving artistic yeah. force. Yes. And this is something I was thinking about, is that there are a couple of other partnerships like this where mm -hmm. the person who seems to be the less confident or the weaker character on screen yeah. is actually the dominant character off screen. Like, that's true of Laurel and Hardy. Yeah. That's true of uh, the Smothers Brothers, mm -hmm. where Tommy Smothers, who's like the wimpy, doesn't understand what's going on guy, yeah. he was apparently a driving, you know, megalomaniacal yeah. control freak backstage. You know, and this seems like this is Jerry Lewis as he's getting... They're becoming more and more powerful. Right. He's exerting more and more control, and Dean Martin keeps getting pushed to the side. Yeah, but these you films know. are blowing up the box office. Huge. They're just making so much money now, hand over fist. But yes, Jerry Lewis is coming, is coming into his own as performer, and he has that cushion of having Dean Martin there. Like, if nothing else, he shares the right. load with Dean. Well, the partnership ends in 1956. They make occasional appearances up until 1961 together. They never do another film after that. Right. Uh, and then they stop communicating altogether in 1961 which is coincidentally when Sinatra comes in this whole thing of the Rat Pack now he doesn't need uh, Jerry Lewis anymore right. Dean Martin does and Lewis now kind of has to embrace being on his own he has a crisis of confidence he's not sure what he's going to do because the first time he's been alone in such a long time and then he gets a call from Sid Luft who is at the time Judy Garland's husband and mm. manager Judy Garland has strep throat can't go on in Vegas he is there he, Jerry Lewis just happens to be vacationing with his wife in Vegas, having this crisis of confidence, not sure what he's going to do as a solo performer because he hasn't been with so long. Sid Love calls him, says, would you go on for Judy tonight? I'd really appreciate it. Goes on, does this whole comedic act, sings these songs, blows the doors off the place. Right. And he said, that's when I knew I was ready to embrace being a solo artist again. Uh, they do come back together in like 19... Uh, what, 19... 1976. What is it? 1976, yes. When they do the muscular dystrophy telethon, Frank Sinatra brings them back together uh, and surprises Lewis. He yeah. doesn't know that Dean Martin is in the... And then Dean Martin comes out and they have this get-together and they really get together in 1987 after Dean Martin's tr son tragically dies in a plane crash. Uh, and then... in he celebrates him in 1989, brings out this cake, and then says to him, he quips to him, why we broke up, I'll never know, which, of course, he knows. So <laughs> yeah. this is the kind of thing. So uh, like I said, so he does this for a while, and then he starts performing in Vegas, these live shows, beginning in late 1956, uh, piece by piece. And, of course, up until 61, all these things are happening. He's still occasionally showing with Dean, doing all this kind of stuff. But he really starts to break out of it, starting right after in that time in 1961 doing all these starts getting into these films slowly slowly but surely does the geisha boy does don't give up the ships the like delicate delinquent which is so these are the films that i start to watch as right. i'm growing up right these are the films they show on like metro media 5 or wdca 20 right. and he starts to do his own production company with paramount pictures jerry lewis productions and he was signed 
with specifying a payment of $10 million plus 60% of the profits for 14 films over a seven-year period. That is unheard of. Yeah. It's madness. No, I, I, I just keep going back to like, we can't understand. You know, we talked about this yeah. with Chaplin. Yeah. You know, it was like, today we can't understand how big this really was. Yeah. You know, and this is really big. Mm-hmm. This is this is right up there with Chaplin and Sinatra and Elvis and the Beatles. Absolutely. You know, that's how big this is. Well, and also this is a time where the studio's are, it's not well. The studios are in charge of everything, right. and he's still carving out this niche, niche in there, and making his money. You know what I'm saying? And so he does that. Does Cinderella? Visit to a small planet. These are all fantastic films that come up. And then he comes up with the Bellboy in 1960, which he does on a small budget with a very tight shooting schedule and no script. No script. Wow. He shoots the film himself uh, by day and then performs at the casino at night, at the Sands at night, or at the Fountain Blue, rather, at night in the evening. So it's just amazing. And he uses his own funds to cover the $950,000 budget, and it's silent. Right. And if you watch it, it has one of the most amazing scenes where he's in the boardroom, and it's all to a jazz song. And he is imitating everyone in the boardroom talking, to, depending on what instrument is playing. And it's fantastic. You want to watch a comedian at work? Doing his best work, watch that. Well, and this goes back to the miming that's right at the very yes. beginning of his performance. It's yes. like listening to popular songs and creating things out of nothing mm-hmm. visually, which is also similar. It's funny. Someone else we talked about who did a very similar thing mm-hmm. is Jim Henson and the Muppets. They yes. took Spike Jones songs and things like that and created, you know, visuals with the Muppets to that music. It's right. Like this, and I think Jerry Lewis is like, He's the master of this. Well, and it's also a precursor to stuff we see with uh, uh, Kirby Enthusiasm or with uh, the Christopher Guest movies, right? You get a broad generalization, but they improv through a majority mm. of the stuff without right. script. Or they come up with script as it goes along. So yeah. it's very interesting how he does this. So then he, he shoots, he, he goes and stars in an episode of Celebrity Golf. During that production, Lewis, Lewis pioneers the technique of using video cameras and multiple closed-circuit monitors, which allow him to review his performance instantly and these techniques and methods of video assist are documented in his book and he had a usc class he taught at usc for a while as well and they enabled him to complete most of his films on time and under budget this is huge right a guy who does not have to go under budget because he's making so much money he purposely goes under budget during this time he's also uh, uh he does starts to direct the ladies man the errand boy it's only money the the, the film we're going to talk about in 1963 the nutty professor he does a cameo in it's a madman bad bad world he then does who's minding the store the patsy and one of my personal favorites the disorderly orderly in 1964 and then one of my all-time favorites right after that 1965 the family jewels which i recently <laughs> saw at the new beverly cinema with my friend clay major who was in town visiting me and that film if you've never seen The Family Jewels, if you see The Nutty Professor, if you see Big Mama's House, if you see any of these comedians who perform and play seven or eight different characters in the same movie, this is the movie that launches that particular idea. Yes, Milton Berle had worn a dress, those kinds of people had dressed up or cross-dressed in comedy all the time, but no one had done seven different characters at the same time, so believably so, in such a uh, perfect way, and you see that here in The Family Jewels, right? So by 1966, though, he's not... He kind of runs out of steam as a performer. The public's tastes are changing. Right. And so he starts to do less and less. But he leaves Paramount because they won't renew his contract at the level that he wanted to renew. He goes to Columbia. He does Three on a Couch. He does Way, Way Out, which is that space one, which is, uh, if you've never seen it, it's don't bother. It's terrible. He's in Batman. <laughs> He's in Password. He does a pilot for something called Sheriff Who, which I always thought, is that the precursor of Doctor Who? Who? Was he trying to do <laughs> Doctor Who for America? I don't know. He continues making more movies. He does The Big Mouth. He does Don't Raise the Bridge, Lower the River, which I saw wasn't that 
that bad? I remember that one. I have no all these names. I don't even know what they are. I've never heard <laughs> I'm of them. I'm just telling you. Uh, he also uh, cameos on Playboy. Oh, he appears on an episode of Playboy After Dark, which people don't remember. Hugh Hefner back in the '60s had a late night talk show called Playboy After Dark, and it was the hippest place in town. Yes, you had to go. Like so many amazing performers went there and it wasn't seen as a negative to be on a playboy show oh it was very very hip and cool all um, the all the cool cats all the, the cool cats yeah including jerry lewis uh he does in 1969 he does hook line and sinker then in, he starts to direct a class at usc in los angeles for a number of years starting in 69 one of his students is george lucas yep. and steven spielberg drops in every once in a while and in 1968 he screens spielberg's earliest film amblin and tells his student quote students Quote, that's what filmmaking is all about. That's yep. an amazing, for a guy who knows exactly and is very aware of how to make films, that's an incredible compliment to receive yeah. at that time. Right? Then he would make and star this unreleased film, which is a legend film, The Day the Clown Cried, which is a precursor to what we see in Life is Beautiful and, of course, what we see in, in uh, Robin Williams to a lesser successful uh, extent in Jacob the Liar. But this is a film that is a drama set in a Nazi concentration camp. Lewis rarely discusses the film. Now, he's a Jewish. Remember, he's the son of Jewish parents, so he's Jewish, and he makes this film, but he says there was litigation over the post-production of the finances that prevented the film's completion and release, and however, but he admits during his book tour for Dean Martin and me that a major factor for the film's burial is that he was not proud of the effort. Yeah, le legendary is the right word. This yeah. is this movie that nobody's ever seen. Nobody's ever seen. And the odds aren't, we're never going to see it. Mm -hmm. Or who knows? Who knows now that he's gone, what might happen? But Somebody has a copy. It is a legendarily horrible and yes. probably, you know, when comedy and drama go wrong, it could go really wrong yeah. when you're set in a concentration camp. Yeah. You know, and... You know, this is this is one where there are a lot of people out there who really want to see what this movie is. Right, and there are people who have copies of this film. I've heard of underground comedians who have a copy of this film, and they have screenings at their house every once in a while for other comedians to come watch. I hope one day to break that wall yeah. and be invited to go see that film because it is, uh, from what I hear from people who have seen it, you, they can't even describe it. You have to see it to experience it, right? So after an absence of 11 years, he returns to film in the film Hardly Working, which I remember my parents. I make my parents go take me in 1981 to see that film. It is terrible, but it makes $50 million. But then, two years later, he does King of Comedy in 1983, which Steve mentioned earlier, where he portrays a late-night television host plagued by two obsessive fans in Robert De Niro and Sandra Bernhardt. And if you have not seen King of Comedy, go rent that, go find it, go watch it. It is... Not what you think at all. It is in no way is it a feel good movie. No. It is a very uh, stark depiction of what it's like to be a successful person and have crazy fans who believe that by writing your coattails and talking to you, they can become famous as well. And we see that now in the culture we have now. It's out there even more so. In, in a weird way, it might be the, the the Scorsese movie that I find most disturbing. Yeah, as well it should be. You know what I mean? Yeah. Which is odd to say because certainly in Taxi Driver there's disturbing sure. elements. Sure. And in a lot of films you're like getting some really, really dark places. Mm -hmm. But there's something about King of Comedy that is so 
upsetting in its weirdness. Yeah, yeah. because you can't 100% hate you can't 100% hate Pupkin. Pupkin seems like someone you would know. Yeah. And Pupkin's drive to become this is from a place of purity that he thinks he's really funny. He thinks he's destined if they would just give him a chance. And who of us hasn't had those moments when we're in the when the, in the performing? We're like, if you just give me a shot, I swear I'll knock it out of the park. Well, you and I have both said that many times in our lives, and it is impossible to know whether or not you are delusional. Yeah, because if until you're given the chance. Well, right. even then, yeah, because, true. Because you and I have both given it a chance and not gotten the thing that we thought we were supposed to get, right? And continued to believe that we could hit it out of the park. Yeah, and of course. I believe that we're correct. Yeah, you right. Know? But you can't. And the other thing about that movie, and then we'll get back to this sure. movie, is is um, you can't you can't one hundred percent dislike De Niro's character. You can't one hundred percent like Jerry Lewis's character. No, either. No, he's you kind know? of a rude guy, which yeah. is the rumor about Jerry Lewis from a lot of people. From a lot of people, right? Yeah. So he stars in the ABC televised drama Fight for Life with Patty Duke. Then he stars in five episodes of Wise Guy. And this is him coming into his like later it's years older, playing yeah. this har- these harder edge characters, which obviously clearly was always inside him. If you see the film we're gonna we're gonna talk about here, he's the character who plays a buddy love. This is not a good guy that he yeah. plays in this film, right? Then he appears in Cookie. Then he has a cameo in Mr. Saturday Night with Billy Crystal. Then he guest episodes on Mad About You as an eccentric billionaire. Then he makes his Broadway debut as a replacement. Broadway debut at that age, yeah. right? In the late 80s, uh, late 90s, rather, as a, a replacement cast member for the revival of Damn Yankees, which is choreographed by Rob Marshall, who yeah. ends up directing Chicago. Uh, and while also starring in the film Arizona Dream, he is performing at night. Amazing. In 2003, he does a guest voice as Professor uh, Frank's dad in an episode of The Simpsons. Then in 2006, he guest appears in an episode of Law and Order Special Victims. Well, Unit we should say that Professor Munch's uncle. Oh, yeah, that Professor Frank in The Simpsons. Yeah, that's based on Jerry Lewis. Yeah, of course. I mean that yeah. is the nutty professor. Right. So him coming to play the dad <laughs> perfect, makes perfect sense, right? <laughs> uh, and in 2012, he actually directs a musical theater version of Nutty Professor uh, at the Tennessee Performing Arts in Nashville from July 31st to August 19th. And then recently, he made one final comeback in a lead role in 2016's Max Rose, which is on Netflix. And it's did you see a, it? Only an hour and a half. I did see it. It's an enjoyable time to revisit Jerry Lewis if you are a, re- a fan of Jerry Lewis. Right. Uh, but it's not an easy film to watch. It's kind of has some uh, emotional hard moments. And so that's what I would say. But I enjoyed it seeing it. But we would be remiss not talking about his popularity in France. The man. Yes. This is the legend. If you know anything about Jerry Lewis, this is something that is insane. Not to the level of the Hoff and Germany, because everyone knows that's a joke. <laughs> but... The French love Jerry Lewis for a very long time. He, you know, he's consistent. He receives consistent praise by French critics in the magazine Cahir du Cinema for his absurd comedy, in part because he had gained respect as an auteur who had control over all aspects of his films. And they compare him to Howard Hawks, to Alfred Hitchcock, to Satyajit Ray, all these people who are incredible auteurs. They com- they they compare Jerry Lewis to them. Uh, he has a long common stereotype about the French in the minds of many English speakers, and is often the object of jokes in the English-speaking world pop culture. He's, uh, uh, a Finnish film critic said that Americans can't see Jerry Lewis's genius is bewildering. Bewildering to him. So there you go. And one last thing, talking about the muscular dystrophy associated, which we talked to earlier. As we said, he did that for a long time. Up until 2011, he served as national chairman and spokesperson for the Muscular Dystrophy Association. He began hosting the telethons in 1952, and he did that until 1959, and then started again in 1966 to 2010, and he would host them live. Live. 
This is insane. 24 hours. 24 hours a day. 72 hours of hosting live. Yes, he would take occasional breaks. They would go to the local station. The performers would do their performance. But he was the MC. Over nearly half a century, he raised over $2.6 billion in donations for his cause. But in 2011, they they let him go, which was very controversial at the time, uh, and did not replace him with anyone near his caliber. Uh, On May 1st, 2015, it was announced that in view of the new realities of television viewing, the telethon was being discontinued. Uh, In early 2016, Lewis broke his silence about it by making an online video statement for the organization on its website in honor of its rebranding, marking his first and, as it turned out, his final appearance in support of the Muscular Dystrophy Association. Some of the awards he has been nominated for or won in his life. In 1952, he was nominated for best for an Emmy Award for Best Comedian or Comedienne. In 1983, he is nominated for his role in Kim Comedy by the BAFTA, the nomination for Best Actor in a Supporting Role. Uh, in 1997, he receives the Lifetime Achievement Award from the American Comedy Awards. In 1999, he re- receives the Golden Lion Honorary Award. In 2004, Los Angeles Film Critics Association's Career Achievement Award. In 2005, he receives a Primetime Emmy Governor's Award. And in 2009, he receives the Gene Herschelt Humanitarian Award at the 81st Academy Awards. And he's named in 2013, he is named Honorary Member of the Order of Australia for service to the Muscular Dystrophy Association of Australia and for his longtime humanitarian contribution to those affected by the disorder. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Of Jerry Lewis. If you want to go deeper into Jerry Lewis, you can read his books. You can explore cinema. If you read his books in companion with Sidney Lumet's book, you should be capable to direct a movie <laughs> afterwards. Like I just, the man is amazing. And like Steve said, it's he's not a hundred percent his guy. He's definitely my guy. I I just wanted. To, I know we have limited time when we do these episodes, so I didn't want to spend thirty minutes on a biography because I really could. There's so much within his films that he discovered, that he pioneered, that he explored. There's so much that he brought to the forefront in terms of comedy. He was always pushing the boundaries of comedy. Always exploring different things he could do within his films and he was also portraying these characters that were not smooth talking lead characters these comedies were always these downtrodden guys against their luck trying to survive in a world that where they are constantly being rejected and for being earnest yet clumsily earnest along <laughs> the way you know and so there's so many so many films and if you want to go back and enjoy his films. Go look. Go find some film critics that you absolutely love and adore. See their reviews for Jerry Lewis's films. And let those be your entryway into his comedy. Because there's so much to discover. And I guarantee you when you watch his films. You will see shades of them in the comedians you love today. All the way up to Louis C.K. And so many others that yeah. you see. Chappelle. So many of them credit Jerry Lewis with influencing them to become comedians. Wow. So as a professional directing instructor. Yes. I have a lot of students who go out and have to do presentations on directors and mm-hmm. filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Dude, you just got an A+. Plus. What? That was really good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that it's was very kind in of depth you. and deep. Yes. yes. Well done, sir. Well, um, well that brings... So uh, I could ask this question, but I, I think we already kind of know the answer. Yeah. Anything you want to say about how you first came to The Nutty Professor? Yeah, I came to it as a child. It was yeah. on TV, and I just remember watching it, and I remember absolutely loving it. And this whole idea of becoming a different person, right? All of us who grew up kind of nerds or geeks or like me, I I was a fat kid who was beat up all the time. I've said this before, it was a bull haircut. To imagine that you could take a potion 
and become someone else, right? And he does it through the conventional routes initially, the working out, those kind of, where you see those ads, hey, you don't get sand kicked sure. in your face, work out. He finds a way to do a magic potion, which is the American way. It's the quickest way I can yeah. get to the destination. And he becomes this whole other person. And who wouldn't want to become somebody else who the, all the women want to be with and all the guys love and you're you're you've got this incredible ability to entertain people at the same time and you're smooth right so I, you got caught up in that but i just love the humor of the character at that time when i was a kid of the professor because he's doing the voice and the teeth sticking out and the glasses and all of that yeah. so that all of that was incredibly funny for me and stella stevens who's absolutely gorgeous in this sure. movie yeah. luminescent in this movie and strong and, and a real character yes, very much so yeah. which was great to revisit again for this podcast to remember how resistant she actually is to this character well there's some weird things new. about that too which yes. we will get into absolutely um, for me, me it's exactly the same i saw it on on channel 44 right i'd seen it a bunch and what's funny is is that this is it's really falls into a superhero story yeah it's i'm going to take the secret potion and i'm going to get superpowers that's a great point and and so i was attracted to it i saw it a whole bunch as a kid mm -hmm. and i probably haven't seen it since i was 12 <laughs> wow so watching it yesterday yeah was the first time i had seen it in forever interesting yeah okay. and sadly my experience watching it was maybe not as good okay so while you know I, I have tons to talk about about what I admire mm -hmm. and what is, for some reason... You know, here's what I was thinking about. Yeah. My wife doesn't like beets. She okay. doesn't like them. She's tried to eat them. I love beets. I think they're delicious. Beets, you mean beets, the, the, the food, vegetable. The root vegetable. Okay. And she eats them, and she says they taste like dirt. Yes. And I think they taste delicious. Wow. And what we've learned is that there's certain genetic predispositions towards certain flavors. People have different... <laughs> Like taste buds, literally, they actually have different taste buds. And so, what she's tasting when she eats beets and what I taste is yeah. completely different. I'm with your wife. I might be missing the Jerry Lewis gene because <laughs> I, I'm watching this and I, I, I appreciate yeah. everything that he's doing, and particularly as a filmmaker. Yeah, I wasn't laughing. Wow. Yeah. So, so it's, this is a weird one for me. Well, maybe we can help you with that. Maybe if you could find, <laughs> if you could unlock the Jerry Lewis gene, and at the end I could be like every patriotic Frenchman and adore <laughs> this man, then that would be nothing would be better. He's the best. Yeah. Well, and oh, this is you know as we talked about, this is films are about taste. In Absolutely. The end. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's do a little little bit about the pre production. Sure, sure. Jerry says that he came up with this idea for this film while doing three shows a night in a club in Chicago with Dean Martin. No surprise. Oh, and, no and, surprise. And, and he felt that. Robert Louis Stevenson's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde was made for comedy. Mm -hmm. He was like, that's I know what a funny concept <laughs> is. And the guy turning into another guy, that's funny. Right. And this is, you know, this is what, what's funny is we've learned as we've gone along that there are films that meld to different genres. And yeah. this is a sci-fi comedy because mm -hmm. taking the potion and turning into something else. And what is your identity? Those are classic science fiction ideas. Right. We're going to do it in a comedy setting. Uh, it was written by him and Bill Richmond, mm -hmm. and you mentioned video assist, and I just want to uh, go back into this because sure. it's so important, is that this technology that he really... Now, he says he invented it. Invented might be a strong word. Yes, he perfected it and made it common usage, well, he, but I don't know that he invented it. Right? It was his idea. Yeah. Yeah. The, I'm, always, I'm always bothered if someone says, I invent... It's like, you're not an engineer, dude. You did not <laughs> put any wires to anything. Right, right. You know, it's like saying Steve Jobs invented the personal computer. He did not. Right. It's like saying... Uh, it's like giving a design to a fashion designer then they create the genuine yeah i designed that no no yeah, no. No. You no, had, no no you had a great idea, you had a great idea. Awesome. but <laughs> yeah. he, he was freaking out about how am i going to direct myself in comedy mm. because and for other people like orson wells when he did citizen kane or when actors act on 
on film, they usually have a buddy yes. who they trust, who's going to be behind the camera, who can say that one was good or that wasn't good. Right. Jerry Lewis doesn't seem to trust anybody. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was apparently having nightmares about what he could do. And he had this idea of what if we had a video camera filming at the same time as the film camera and seeing the same thing. And so he flies to Tokyo to meet with the CEO of Sony wow. to say, can you, can this happen? And by the way, as much as France loves Jerry Lewis, Japan loves Jerry Lewis. Oh, I'm sure. They love him. Mm -hmm. And so naturally, the CEO of Sony said, let me meet him and brought his best engineers in and said, can we figure this out? And the first version was didn't record. So you could see what the camera operator was seeing, right. but you couldn't actually see what had happened in a take. Right. The next version a year later, which is what they used on Nutty Professor, by then Sony had invented videotape. And wow. they could record it, and he could rewatch his takes. And this so fundamentally changes the way films are made. Because up until that first video assist, the director never knew what the camera operator had seen mm -hmm. until they looked at dailies the next day. Right. And so the camera operator had to, he had to judge if that was good. And as soon as you have video assist, the director can look at the shot, he can look at the rehearsal, and once you have playback, he can look at what the performance is and make a yeah, decision. And this yeah. really, this is a huge, important invention. So while I don't give Jerry credit for the engineering of the electronics, yeah. I give him absolute credit for fundamentally changing film with this idea. Yeah. All right, you wanna get in the movie? Sure. We start in a science lab. Yes. The colors are very bright. Yep. And it's funny, something that apparently Jerry Lewis's dad told him is that comedy is color. Mm-hmm. The f that color is directly connected to comedy. And boy, you see it here. This might be the most brightly colored movie I have ever seen. Wow. I mean, yeah, it's, I mean, it's funny. Like we did, uh, no, this good. So. Here's a preview. A movie that's going to come out soon is The Adventures of Robin Hood. Yes. Beginning of Technicolor. Yeah. Also a very colorful movie. It is. Um, don't know exactly when that's going to come out. This will probably come out first. <laughs> okay. But this movie is unbelievably colorful. Yes. And there's uh, some hands that are doing some experiments. It's not going very well. No. <laughs> there seem to be some problems. It's almost like a TV movie beginning. It yeah, almost feels yeah. like that, right? It doesn't feel like a natural feature film comedy beginning at all in this. And we're seeing him go from like... You know, his hand reaching in and this the stuff blowing up or the stuff kind of bubbling over. Yeah. yeah, those kinds of things. So, yeah. And that leads us to a very big explosion. Yes. <laughs> Frankly, this explosion sounds like everyone in that classroom was killed. Yeah, basically. <laughs> That's how it seems. And we cut over to the, the dean's office. Mm -hmm. We send someone over to get Professor Kelp. It seems as if this is probably happened before yes uh the firemen rush in knock the door over students are struggling out out of smoke and the secretary of the president walks in standing on the door calling out for him right. and we're building up anticipation yeah. to the entrance of this character again this is something we talked about over and over and over again on the cinephiles build anticipation for your main character and i love this woman the actress who plays yeah. kathleen freeman is fantastic if you ever seen dragnet she is oh. phenomenal in Dragnet. Oh, that's right. She's like, stick, shove it up your ass, flap it, or whatever. <laughs> the miserable bag of pus. 
Yeah, she's great in that sequence when they're interviewing her about uh, oh Amo Muzz. Yeah, that's Kathleen. So, she's by the great. way, th- we're going to build the list of f- movies that do not really belong in the cinephiles At but all. I still want to do. Dragnet is absolutely number one. It does not. It is. Look, if you're John of my age, for whatever reason, I watched it like two years ago and I was like, I still like this I movie. I love the shit out of Dragnet. I really do. Yeah. But it doesn't deserve. It does not deserve no to be business being on the cinephiles. Yeah. But that would be one of our guilty pleasures. We, yeah. At some point, maybe, maybe on Patreon, <laughs> we're going to do a few guilty pleasures. Dragnet would be a good one. Um, uh, so she, so she runs in. She's calling out for the professor. Yeah. Where is he? He's knocking on the door. He's knocking on the door, but the door John is on the ground. <laughs> That's right. That she is standing. How on. is this possible? <laughs> She's standing on top of him. That's a great. And we open the door Brilliant. to reveal him. Yeah. And how does uh, Jerry Lewis look? Uh, all all beat up, and he's it's almost like he's like he's a vampire coming out of the ground, and he's all covered in soot and black stuff on his face from the explosion, yeah. and his uh, his lab coat is uh, in shreds. And what's funny, having you know watched a bunch of Jerry Lewis clips leading up to this, yeah. he has more variations on dorky kind of people, yes. but they're not the same. Yeah. That was what sort of is that this Professor Kelp character yeah. is not the same as. Like the the spazzy kid character he's done, they're different. Right, they have similarities, but yeah. he actually is really creating unique people. Uh, he gets told the, the 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 president of the university wants to see him. He goes into the room and he sits down in a very strangely placed chair <laughs> and sinks. That is brilliant, by the way. Yeah, this whole sequence where he sinks into the chair, and you hear the sound of the leather, and you see the uncomfortable face of, of the professor. Then he gets up, grabs a one of the thinnest <laughs> magazine pamphlets or, or magazines yeah. or books you'll ever see, puts it on. All of a sudden, he does not sink into the chair anymore. <laughs> and I, this is this is the kind of comedy I get. You may not have the Jerry Lewis gene, but those it are the moments that up. I crack crack me the fuck up because it is so stupid but funny. Well, and we have to talk about a fascinating comedy principle that he uses here. Yeah, which is that if you do something a little bit, it can be mildly funny. And then you could do it for longer, and it becomes not funny. Right. And then you do it for even longer, and you go, I can't believe you're still doing this. <laughs> and then you do it for longer, and it becomes funny again. And this is, and it, I was watching this, watching this with my family, and this scene is silent. Yes. Forever. And it's cut to the president, cut to the professor, cut cut mm-hmm. cut and they're not speaking my son Jax goes speak dude <laughs> speak dude why aren't you speaking dude 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 he's yelling at the tv because it goes on and this definitely turns that weird corner yep. of something becoming not funny and then becoming funny again yeah my favorite example of this by the way is sideshow bob and the rakes oh when he just keeps stepping on them yes for like 10 minutes yes oh brilliant it completely turns that weird corner yes <laughs> Um, and uh and finally we we do start talking we Mm. find out that this is not the first problem that we've had with this professor at this school nope been nitroglycerin and gasoline this is an amazing i i I guess maybe in the 60s people were like in their 30s and 40s going to college i guess because this is this college is full of a lot of people who look like they should have children in college themselves it is fascinating to see the mix of people. Even the people playing the football players look way too old to be playing college football players. And it's interesting. Uh, I don't have this weird the whole class. That in the past, people looked older. Maybe. Because if you look at pictures, like I remember seeing like the old college pictures of the old football team. And yeah. you look, uh, the real, I'm not saying in a movie. I'm saying right. the real ones. They always look 
like they're in their 30s. Yeah, I guess. I think life was just harder and we're just wimpy or something. <laughs> Maybe, but they all look but old, they do. don't they? They do. We yeah. have a little bit in the office where he opens up his watch. Which is great. Little uh, John Philip Sousa action. Yeah. Uh, no, it's Marine Corps. Isn't it the... Oh, is it the Marine Corps song? Yeah, I think so. My bad. All right. Um, I think. I don't guarantee. I don't guarantee. Let's just say... And that song comes on. Yeah. Which is very funny. It's loud. Very... And I had thought about it, because this is a kind of gag he does a lot. He likes mm-hmm. the strange sound, the unexpected loud sound coming out of an object or something. Yeah. And I was thinking about it. I'm like, I think this is the opposite. This is the reversal of the mime comedy, mm. which is that he's the unexpected visual playing to the expected audio. Yeah. And this is the unexpected audio playing out of an expected visual. Yes. Like that's this dichotomy is a thing he likes to play with over and over again. Yep. Um, we have the watch guy, and we have that twice in that scene. He goes back to the classroom, and you mentioned these football players. One football player does not want to stay for class. Nope. He wants to leave, and he threatens his professor. You didn't have no call to go and yelling at me like that, Professor Kelp. Warshevsky, uh, uh, I might have been a little rash. And that wasn't very nice when you said that my practice was stupid. No, I might have meant that I was stupid in assuming that practice was stupid. Naughty, naughty. Naughty. Now, what teacher. Well, no. Yes. <laughs> it seriously threatens him. Yes, he, pun- he pokes him in the nose yep. and then throws him into the uh, dr- uh, what would it go? shelf. A big cabinet, yeah. Yeah. Something. yeah. And that's a, yeah, and that's a perfect example of I'm sure he was using video assist. Yes. To, to see, because how do you see exactly how your body looks in that shelf unless you mm-hmm. can watch it in playback? True. You know, which I'm sure he does. And who comes to help him get out? Beautiful Stella Stevens, My Miss Lord. Purdy. Yeah, Miss Purdy. Purdy is right. Yeah. Very pretty. And she's very nice to him. Yes. You shouldn't let that bully pick on you. <laughs> Even though she was smiling, when oh, you see she... the see, she's smiling when he's like confronting him and throwing him into the uh, shelf. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and as she's leaving, she drops a book yeah. and she picks up and then he sees this thing that you mentioned before, which is what was at the back of like every comic book I had for so long, which is these weird drawings of the skinny guy getting encouraged to go work out at the gym so bullies don't pick on him. Right. Yeah. You know, for me, they were like the Charles Atlas. Yeah. He picked, he picks, kicks sand in my face. That's right. Uh, but these are the things, but it's all because he's starting to feel an attraction for her. Again, another thing that I guess was around back then is that you could sleep with your professor. It was not a problem to have a relationship Wait, with your students. you can't do that anymore? <laughs> oh, shit. Not unless you want to end up on Yahoo News <laughs> on the feed. But yeah. yeah, it seems like it was like not a big deal, I guess. No. To have feelings for your student. No. You know, which, which, of course, isn't a problem when they're in the 30s, as, we, as I know. <laughs> yeah. yeah so. um, and, uh, and it was funny. I was thinking about the, that, that message of... You're a skinny, nerdy person. Yes. Therefore, you need to get big muscles so you can beat up the muscle guy. Right. That is not the message of today. No. The message of today is that bullies are bad people. Yes. And you should leave that skinny, nerdy guy alone. Everything has changed. Yeah, everything has changed. Now the nerds are bullying the, the jocks. In a strange way. Yeah. But he says this seems like a good idea, so he goes <laughs> off to the gym. I love the 1963 gym. <laughs> <laughs> right. Everyone's in full gray sweatsuits. <laughs> Nobody is particularly muscular. Which is, by, yeah, right. Well, by the way, if you go and watch old films or old footage of the stars that you remember working out, Kirk Doug, you can find pictures of Kirk Douglas and Burt Lancaster yeah. in these full gray sweatsuits right. working out in the gym, getting in shape, doing those kinds of things. And by the way, the first guy he walks into is Richard Keel, who is Jaws. 
from oh. the James Bond movies. The first guy of he walks into coming out of the dressing room. I certainly recognize like, who is this giant? But I yeah. did not, I didn't it's, get it. Yeah, John. that's hilarious. Yep. I knew it immediately. I was like, oh, Richard Keel. Yeah, because there are a bunch of huge guys in here. There are. Um, and then we have little visual, and, and this is very much in the Buster Keaton, Charlie yes. Chaplin style that we're going to have these little visual gags that you know he worked really hard on. Yeah. He falls down and bounces up and bounces down. <laughs> I don't know what the hell has happened when this is going on. Well, then, and the thing is, is incredible about this scene is the line he has is actually a very intelligent line because the guy says, are you okay? Well, actually, uh, if you would say that a man with an ulcer had a nail in his shoe and a splinter in his finger was then struck by lightning. If you could say that that man was not hurt, then yes, you would say, I'm not hurt. Good. And he asked him if he's fine, then I guess I'm fine. And you're just like, well, this is a very intelligent response, <laughs> sarcastic response. The guy doesn't pay guy much attention to, to it. Yeah, right, he doesn't pay attention at all. But for a guy who's weak, supposedly, is a very intelligent response. And yeah. I love, too, that they go, well, you can't have glasses. Yeah, oh, God forbid. You God forbid you would be able to see. So he's now blind. Yes. He goes to this pulling machine, but then there's some guy working on it behind for the wall. Randomly, yeah. yeah. Which, with a pulling machine, you know, he rips the thing off the wall and yeah. falls forward. It's one of those psychics. But <laughs> and then he goes to... Um, uh, the bowling alley? Yes. I um, guess you went to bowl to work out. Like, and, and he still can't have his glasses. No, apparently. <laughs> so he, at the bowling alley. Yeah. And he sees 10 white-clad <laughs> people dressed standing in a, ty- a triangular formation. Yes. And rolls that ball right down and hits them all and knocks them down. He gets a strike. He does. It was a good shot, considering he can't see. <laughs> That's right. I think he's doing very well. He is. Um, By the way, I noticed that you're laughing through all this. I just want to make sure it's clear that Steve Moore is laughing through all this stuff. He claims he doesn't have the Jerry Lewis gene. I think it's recessive. Look, I can fake funny as oh. well as the best man. <laughs> Don't you fake anything on this show. <laughs> all right. I could sincerely appreciate the comedy. It sounds like you are. Yeah. No, right. I do. Okay. I would never lie on this show. <laughs> That's right. As far as anyone knows. Right. Um, we're back at the gym, <laughs> and there's this guy who has lifted up this barbell oh my God. and holding it straight up because that's a thing that people do. True. We do. And then he's standing directly under the barbell, mm-hmm. poking it. Were you nervous watching this? Yes, absolutely, because the guy does such a great job of playing what you would be sounding like if you were lifting the, uh, the yeah. weight. Do you know what I'm saying? You're like, he's barely breathing. It's like when I did CrossFit, that's what I sounded like when I'd push those jerk, do the push, push, press, push presses. Because you'd have to hold it. Right. You push, press, hold it. Then come down, push, press, hold yeah. it, then come down. So that whole, he's like, oh, yeah. It's and could you imagine lot. you're holding it up and a short person walks directly yeah. under the barbell and pokes you in the it, side. Yeah, he starts talking to you and says, oh, you're pretty muscular, blah, blah, blah. So then when he gives it to him. Boom. What a great gag. This, I, this is probably, and I remembered this from a kid, yes. being a kid. I think this is a great visual gag. Mm-hmm. And this is what, so what happens is his arms naturally stretch out all the way down <laughs> to the floor. It's done perfectly. It and is. this is where there's this weird uh, symbiosis between Jerry Lewis and Bugs Bunny. Because mm. this is Looney Tunes comedy. Oh, absolutely. This is fully, we've left the realm of reality. Yeah. This is full silly. And it's the next shot, I think, which is even funnier. He's lying in bed, and the shot is down from the foot of the bed. His feet are out at the edge of the bed, and next to his feet are his two hands, <laughs> and he scratches his own foot because apparently his arms still long. Still long. <laughs> That's a funny gag. But I, and I do love the, the button on top of that scene when he says, it's a, it, was, it was a little bit heavier than I thought. Yeah, a little bit heavier than I imagined. Well, well, it's something that you're doing, I realize, is also a thing, which is that the Jerry Lewis impression is one of the most important pr- impressions in comedy. Of in the course. same way that the Woody Allen one is. Sure. You know what I mean? Is that there are just, everybody did that voice. Or when Schwarzenegger is doing his comedy. <laughs> yes. Very funny stuff. It's yeah. not a tumor. It's, it's not a tumor. Um, 
So uh, he goes to a doctor because this whole workout thing is not working out. Um, right. And asks him some questions and starts talking about science and essentially better living through chemistry. And right. the doc kind of goes, okay, we'll see you later. And he says, can I borrow your book on muscles? <laughs> <laughs> and he reads through and kind of figures some stuff out. He's a scientist. This yeah. is his way in. It makes sense. Yeah. Gets a whole bunch of books. He piles them into his Jeep. Another kind of visual sight gag. Worst driver ever. <laughs> yeah. I like that he has a Jeep, by the way. Yeah, right. That is an odd car choice. I guess just because you could pile the most books into it sure. to make the gag. That seems that to a, work. That's an odd car choice it for really this is. character. Um, and then we get to, he plans on using this formula on himself tonight. Yeah. And by the way, he has like a minor bird or something yeah. that, that talks to him. And then becomes... When he takes the potion, it becomes a human being that talks to him with a, a bird nose. Well, he's just tripping balls at that I point, guess isn't so, he? right? Yeah. Well, we'll get to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he well, takes, we're, yeah. we're almost there. Yeah. He, he's decided he's going to take this potion that's going to that's the make everything. scientific term, tripping balls, yes. It is. Yeah, it's well documented. It is. Um, he, uh, he, right before he's going to do it, he knocks over Miss Purdy with the door, and she oh, yeah. invites him to come out to the Purple Pit, mm-hmm. which is off limits to faculty. Yeah. Um, so what's and, her end game do you think at this point do you well, think he, she has an interest in him or do you think she feels sorry for him because she totally has an interest in him okay i think don't you i don't know at this point because because she's so harsh to those football players when she's at the purple pit she doesn't strike she doesn't strike me as this kind of innocent blah 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 she has a harder edge to her and so what is her end game here because she is playing nice with him but she does have this harder edge underneath yeah, when she, she needs it i mean Look, I don't know a lot about women, <laughs> but when a woman asks you out to come to a club, yeah. that means something. Okay. And she has been nice to him multiple times. Sure, sure. And she does, when we go to the Purple Pit, seem to be expecting him to show up. Yes. So, yes, I think she is into him. Okay. She digs nerdy professor types. Got it. I, that's my belief. I mean, you've okay. seen this movie way more than me. Yeah. But that's my belief. I can't make up my mind. Um, well, there's some par- part of what confuses this mm-hmm. is what's going to happen when we meet Buddy Love. Yes, because that's going to throw a lot of stuff there. Yep. So we do actually go over to the Purple Pit. I love that the first thing we see is like a girl kissing a guy and then kissing another guy. Yeah. Like apparently, yeah, some wild stuff happens it's at this Purple 60s, Pit, son. Man, well, apparently, but this, this is early '60s. Yeah, this but is like Free Love's not that far away. It's like two or three years later. Eh. Yeah. 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 It's Four. beginning. Well, yeah. It's, it's starting. Well, it comes out of you know the beatnik. Movement yeah. and the jazz movement, and that's where we are right now. Right. Um, our professor sneaks back to his lab. Yes. With very squeaky shoes. Oh my god. Takes off his very squeaky shoes. I love this guy. <laughs> Floor still squeaks, <laughs> and he breaks the fourth wall. Yeah. He looks right at the camera. Yeah. Well, again, and that's like a Bugs Bunny thing, yeah. and he does it several. There's several sort of takes to the camera and moments that break the fourth wall. And he does that in other movies too. Yes. Even, even more so. Yeah. Um, time for the experiment. He takes the formula and we go through some weird makeup changes. Yeah, man. Yeah. All of a sudden, like if you're watching this for the first time, you don't know hundred percent what to expect. This is the Jekyll and Hyde reference. Right. This oh, is yeah. exactly a Jekyll and Hyde reference. The hairy arms, the weird face, the eyes, the different color of skin, the bird freaking out, telling him he shouldn't have done it, like, yeah. which is really funny. So you see this. And then the multiple colors of stuff on the floor, right? This brings back to what you were talking about, Bright, Steve. bright colors. Yeah, the red, the blue, and the yellow that's all over that floor. And he rolls around in it, and he knocks stuff over. And we don't see the change nope. fully come into focus until 
Boom. Until we do, yeah. Well, and, 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 and several things about this. So, so first of all, did you have you watched the trailer, the original nineteen sixty three trailer? No, not okay. in a while. Like most of these trailers of this age, it is not good. Oh, okay. not in the ways that we think of trailers. Okay, I will. I, of course, I'll post it on the Facebook page. Mm-hmm. But what they do in it is they say, "Do not reveal what happens in the middle of this film." <laughs> Do not, don't tell anyone. And they kind of hint that there's going to be this transformation. And they say something about, no one should know what the monster that happens in this film is, but they don't show it. And it's this weird, and so I think part of what they're doing in this scene is playing off of the people who've seen this trailer. And by the way, my son, as we're watching this, he went behind the desk and hid when this was happening. Because it's scary. I mean, like, if you don't know what's going to happen, and do we get to see uh, the transformation right away? What do you mean? Yeah, well, he shows up at the club. No, no, no. What do you mean? Um, so we don't actually get to see the transformation of the way because the first thing we see is all these people reacting to him. Oh, right. No, yes. We don't see him fully become Buddy Love in that transformation scene, but he shows up at the club already fully transformed. Yes. Right. But we see what well, we see. We see everyone else's reaction to it. Right. We yes. see him that, oh, here's your suit and your other suits will be ready. And then he's walking down yeah. the street and all these people turn and stare at him. Yeah. And this is the first time in a, this strange thing of I go, is there magic in his transformation? Mm. Like what? Because it seems as if he has effects on people that are way beyond his behavior or his looks, mm-hmm. including Miss Purdy, which we're going to get to, right. including St- including Stella. Yeah. So he shows up at the club, and we finally see him, and it is quite a transformation. Everybody stops yep. dancing. The music stops playing. The cigarette girl loses all her cigarettes. The waitress drops her drinks. So there's a lot of speculation about where this Buddy Love character comes from. Mm. I'm- there's there's many people who go. This is when he's in the split with Dean Martin, and yeah. this is him just ripping Dean Martin to pieces. Certainly possible. I mean, when you hear that song from John Lennon after the breakup with the Beatles, "How Do You Sleep," that's a tough yeah. song about Paul. That's a yeah. really really hard. So, and sometimes when you love someone that much, the breakup can get dirty, man, because yeah. you feel betrayed or you feel lied to or you feel like. You know, you have to like lash out at this person, and you're probably right. This very much feels like a Dean Martin type of the cigarette, the drinking, the smooth, the hair grease. Like yeah. all of it looks like a version of what he would think Dean Martin is. And, and it, it, it's interesting when you say earlier in this uh, episode that he came up with this idea while they were still together. Right. This is probably how Jerry Lewis sees himself. His inside is the nutty professor. The professor himself, what he wants to be is what he sees with Dean Martin and Buddy Love. And so this is an interesting thing. Well, I, I have a bunch of thoughts about this. Yeah. Because it's so first of all, as you say, like for those 10 years, 1946 and 1956, mm-hmm. they're essentially married. Yes. They are 24-7 with each other. Mm-hmm. And when you spend 24-7 with each other for 10 years under extreme circumstances, mm-hmm. you're going to know all the bad parts of that person. Of course. So I think Dean Martin's in there. Jerry, yes. Jerry Lewis says it's not Dean Martin at all, of course. And he says that he just wanted to sum up every jerk and asshole sure. and full of himself person he had met. And I, and I think there's truth there okay. also. But here's the other thought that, that I don't... How do I put this? When I watch... One of the things about Jerry Lewis that rubs me the wrong way... Oh, here we go. Is like there's this documentary, it's on stars, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty good, called Method to the Madness about Jerry Lewis. Yes. He is so arrogant. Yes. His arrogance is really palpable. Mm -hmm. Every single story he tells is about him and how great he was. He's a narcissist. Yeah. But an insecure narcissist. Well, yeah. Like Trump. Those things things go together. Yes. And so I think this is is Dean Martin. I think this is every asshole he met on the club circuit. Sure. I think this is him. Yes. You know what I mean? 
This I is think, who he would like to be if he could get away with it. Well, I th- and I think there's things that he has done and mm-hmm. ways that he has behaved that he, you know, and I think as good as the professor performance is, yeah. I think this performance is kind of amazing. Yes, it is. Of Buddy Love. Yeah. He walks into this club. He sits down to get a drink. He's immediately horrible to the bartender. What'll it be? Oh, that's no way to talk. What'll it be? That's no way to treat a customer. Come here, try it like this. Pay attention, you'll feel better and the customers will be happier. Try this. What'll it be? Try that. Come on, we haven't got all night. Try it. What'll it be? Good, that was wonderful. Did anyone ever tell you you couldn't sing? Nice. Make me an Alaskan polar bear eater on a double. Come on. Come um, on. Some guy comes up to defend the bartender. He knocks, punches him out. Yep. So he's immediately violent. And I had really forgotten. Like, I remembered a fair amount about the movie when yeah. I watched it as a kid. Yeah. But I didn't re- really know how much of a horrible, truly yeah. awful person Buddy Love is. Right. And for me, going back and watching this again for this podcast, all I can think of in comparison is the Eddie Murphy movie, right? Because I hadn't seen this in a long time. And to watch it and remember how terrible Eddie, Buddy Love is in Eddie Murphy's movie, right. you forget that he's actually kind of a jerk. Right. And even though later he starts to redeem himself a little bit, initially he's really a pompous, arrogant jerk. And you're right. This may be who Jerry Lewis is in real life. Like, because there are numerous stories of people who have t- terrible run-ins with this guy, as many as there are people who had incredible run-ins with this guy. Who was very, He was very complimentary to a lot of people. Yeah. But a lot of people did not have positive... Re- like, if you listen to Mark Maron's 31-minute uh, yeah. episode with Jerry Lewis, Jerry Lewis cuts him off and it's over. The interview's yeah. over. Yeah. And that's that. And it's like, whoa. And, and Maron is completely thrown off and embarrassed. Right. And even if you listen to it now, he does a new intro to it that he released, and he talks about how uncomfortable he felt at that reaction by Lewis to just cut him off. Well, and yeah. I, watching this documentary of him, there's so much... Mm-hmm. And there's a there's a Vice article I saw yeah. just about him just being horrible to this audience that yeah. was saying nice things to him. Yep. And if you look at the 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 split that happened with the Muscular Dystrophy Association, yeah. is there's a lot of very angry people about who felt that while he did raise unquestionably raised a massive amounts of money and deserves tremendous credit for that, yeah. but felt that his treatment of them was that these people were cripples to be pitied not humans right you know and that he was disrespectful and demeaning to them for 30 or 40 years and and, mm-hmm. and what's interesting though is that in the same way in a weird way like we talked about with woody allen is on some level it seems like he is creating that on screen with buddy love mm-hmm. you know um people are complicated especially artists are. especially comedians um so uh buddy spots uh stella yes sidles on over to her spots her legs yeah uh, threatens the football players that she's with. Yeah. Dances with her. And he, man, he's just, there's so much going on. Right. Like almost every line is off putting and horrible right. and nasty and self serving. I know what you're thinking. Where's he been all my life, right? No, not exactly. And. But you're happy the way I handle those three goons, right? Well, normally I would have belted them. But I didn't want to muss myself all up and have you dance with a sloppy guy. 
Jig. But she isn't caught under a spell. She's well, to a degree. She is well, pushing this is back. What's at weird? Him. She's pushing back at him, and she, you know, says it's ridiculous. Blah blah. blah but then he convinces her to leave, and then to drive her car. He's going to drive her car. Yeah, back well, we, to should, her we place. shouldn't skip that. Before that, he sings. Yes. Oh, he I'm does sorry. This yes, performance, he does. Yep. Um, and uh, the whole crowd just streams up to him, even mm. though he's kind of abusive to the crowd. Yeah. Hold it a second. Hold it. Hold, 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 hold it. We'll make our own music, gorgeous. Just hold it. You and you stay. Tubby, you go rest your thumbs. I'll drive. Sweetie, go get your lips pressed. Split. Well, you listen. You listen. Sit down here. And if you listen, you'll be thrilled. Believe you me. Sit and listen and watch. Mood is wrong. Mood is wrong. Innkeeper. Got sexy lights? Lay it on me. Better. Better. Now watch, baby. Every move a picture. And this is the thing is, man, Jerry Lewis is a good singer. Yes, he is. That old black magic has me in its spell. That old black magic that you weave so well. Those icy fingers up and down my spine. The same old witchcraft when your eyes meet mine. And what's funny is he's putting on the singing role. You could see that he is performing this thing, but he's doing it really, really well. Yeah. You know, yeah. he, Jerry Lewis faking it is as good as a lot of singers doing it. Absolutely. You know, he, he finishes the song. The yes. crowd goes wild, mm -hmm. and she goes, see you later. Yeah. And he says, just a minute, sweetheart, I don't recall dismissing you. Mm. Yeah. Um, He's and, not a good guy. No. And then and then have some, baby. Like, these are just like yeah. amazing moments. And then he lets slip that he knows her name, calls her Stella. Stella. How do you know my name? Right. And he's like, oh, ESP. And then she's like, well, what is your name? And just at that moment, someone walks by and goes, uh... Buddy, you really sung up a storm. Yep, that's my name, Buddy. Mm -hmm. And then we hear the word love in some other songs. Yeah. Buddy Love. Yeah, perfect. That's his name. It's a great name. Yep. And then, yeah, he says, you got a car, let's go. And then this line that he has when they're up at, you know, Inspiration Point or whatever it is. Yeah. Hey, uh, baby, take this, wipe the lipstick off, slide over here next to me, and let's get started. Wow. Yeah. I mean, honestly, even in 1963, this is a horrible person. It is. You know? I mean, it's really bad. But some people are turned on by sure. overwhelming confidence, regardless of gender. Some people are Absolutely. just turned on by a person who is like overwhelmingly confident. They're not used to it. Most people stumble around. Most people are nervous. Most people are unsettled by these situations, especially romantic situations. They're clumsy. Uh, he is so self-assured that it angers her. But it intrigues her at the same time. Yeah. I mean, she tells him off. Yes. No, you know, there's a beautiful telling him off. It is. We have started and finished, Buster. And now for an encore, get an earful of the following. I'll admit you're a very sharp-looking guy, and you certainly have that proverbial gift of gab. And the only reason I've gone this far, I think, is because when you meet someone who's like nothing you've ever met before, your curiosity gets stirred up. Well, mister, this is one kitten that won't be smitten by that little old devil. And then he makes this speech, yeah, which is seems to be from the heart. So you see, Stell, when I tell you that you're a vibrant, beautiful, exciting woman, you can believe me. You can bet us the truth. So I have to be a complete idiot not to want to hold you and kiss you and make our time together a 
warm, wonderful moment that could grow and develop into many moments, many hours, and into something really important. I like the speech. Because <laughs> he's, he's like, look, I can dance and do this game with you all night, or I can just tell you straight up, this is how I feel, this is what I want, this is where I'm at. And she reacts to it. She says, well, no one's yeah. ever done it this way before. It, I've never... Yeah, it, I've never experienced it. And then, of course, right in that moment when he might get sealed the deal in, in terms of making out with her, the oh, professor lady. shows up. The professor shows up exactly, <laughs> and, what and he, he just jumps over the side, and takes off, off the cliff, and takes off. <laughs> um, well, and this goes to this thing: it's like uh, uh, it seems as if Buddy Love has some kind of supernatural attractive power. Yes, you know what I mean. That overwhelms her in this moment, and 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 mm-hmm. throughout. Uh, and, and going back to something you said before is that. Yes, people do like are attracted to aggressive confidence. Yeah. And it's not like, you know, we haven't known tons and tons of people who have been in relationships with people that don't respect them and don't treat them well. Right. And, you know, I mean, this is, you know, if Buddy Love were a real person, he would get laid. Yeah. You know what I mean? Probably. As horrible a person as he is. Oh, sure. Because um, it would prey on the insecure person. He would find the insecure person, prey on them and take advantage yeah. of the situation. Yeah. Well, that's what that's what narcissists do. Yes. Um, we're back in class. The professor is back to being the professor. There's a test going on. She's not taking the test. She seems distracted by yeah, something. Because he played all the right moves. No, he did not play all the right moves. <laughs> I got, I, but he played some moves that worked. I'm just telling you right now what I saw. He played <laughs> all the right moves. She's thinking about him. He left her wanting more. And she's sitting in the class just transfixed, trying to figure him out. Yes, People that's true. like a mystery. Yeah. And she's trying to figure him out. Yes, he said very inappropriate things. He's, He's a, a rude son of a person. bitch. Absolutely. But it kind of worked on her. Yeah, and so no she's caught it. up in it. And then he, which is this, this whole sequence is interesting because he knows, he senses, the professor does, that she is caught up with thinking about buddy love. Then he lets her take the test later because she says, I'm distracted and blah, blah, blah. And then before she's about to walk out, he has these visions of her in these various states of costumes. Yes. And they're fucking sexy her in the red yeah. dress the red dress is hot sexy as hell yeah. man the bikinis sexy all yeah. of it she's a very attractive young woman as a professional college professor that's inappropriate that would not be appropriate no <laughs> well and, and this goes to this weird thing of which i always think i remember thinking about this with dr jekyll and mr hyde yeah is what does dr jekyll remember about the experiences mr hyde right and what does mr hyde know they know some, and this is he obviously knows he was out as buddy love right. and he has memory of it and like you know, it's just right. like sort of that's good, fascinating sci-fi stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, but he feels like, no, I've got a problem. I got to make this formula work. Yeah, and maybe this is a problem with heredity. Let's have a flashback <laughs> to his parents. And again, you know, we talked about people in abusive relationships. Yeah. Well, here's one. Good God, mom and dad. Uh, Howard Morris's dad. I forget who mom is. Yeah, Howard Morris is really funny. Yeah, where um, have I seen him before? I don't know. He's been in. Lo- He's definitely familiar. Okay, I should have looked it up. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, mom is a big woman. Mm-hmm. Howard is a small, dad is a small man. Yeah. And she is horrendously awful to him. Cut to little toddler giant Jerry Lewis in the crib as a baby. Um, <laughs> I love the teeth missing. Yes. And they, you know, of course Look, they Jerry dub- Lewis loves teeth. Yeah, he does. He, there's a big gag with him. And they dub the whole thing, that whole thing, which is very weird. And then he. Tries to eat. The father tries to eat, and she says, "Eat with your mouth closed," even though he's not eating anything. Yeah. So That's then he mimes eating. Yes. 
Um, and he decides that this formula he has is so dangerous he should mail it to his mother and father <laughs> to keep it safe. And that if anything happens to him, they're going to send it to Washington. Right. Um, and then there's a little gag that I love, which he's walking down the hall. And just as he walks, two doors open just as he goes by. That's a chaplain yes. gag. Yes. It's purely visual. And this is the thing, too, is that Jerry Lewis is doing both personal, physical, face-making, pratt-falling crazy voice shtick yeah. that has to do with him and his body but he also does filmmaking gags mm -hmm. that has to do with with just him as a director yep you know and and that, that, that's really interesting to watch uh miss purdy's waiting for him in the classroom uh and professor does not show up no buddy love shows up well no the professor shows up initially she, he says, "I've got to go handle some things. I'm, oh, you can right. take the test, and then and then he leaves. Yeah, and you're when, right. And then the 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 he goes to take the formula, and the bird says, Brock, in the afternoon, Doc. Brock, it's too early in the afternoon. Like, which is essentially you're drinking in the afternoon, that yeah. kind of thing. So he becomes right, but love that. comes in and has a great line. I love his line. What's his line? He says, like, I thought I'd visit your little land of learning. Too too bad. I love, by the way, the use of hipster language." Yeah. By people, because Hollywood is particularly in this area. Yeah, like Hollywood was trying to catch up with what was happening in the beatnik jazz yeah. hip world, mm -hmm. and they're always a little bit often behind. They're always behind. Um, uh, but Buddy Love in a really good way, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, and he gives her a kiss, and again, there seems to be some magic in that kiss. Mm -hmm. um, and he tells her, "Meet me at ten o'clock at at the Purple Pit." But she's mad at him at first because she says, "Like, why'd you run out of? Me? Why'd you take off? Why'd you yeah. just take off?" Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, we're, she's going to ask that question a bunch, I think. Yeah. Because we're going to go to the Purple Pit. It's after 10 o'clock. She's waiting for him. Where's Buddy Love? Right. Mm, waiting, waiting. It's after 11. And finally, Buddy shows up late, drunk. Yeah. And if possible, more obnoxious than he was before. Yes. Yeah, baby. Your prize package is arrived. Hello, stale ones. Pretty late, Mr. Love. Hold it. Hold it, baby. You got it a little mixed up. You're just way too early, that's all. I'll be a nice girl and plant one over there. You'll feel better. Come on, honey. The best things in life are free. Now, you'll have to admit you got one of the best things. Go ahead. Lay it on me. You see, and this is an interesting thing because I think this is for the audience to figure out. It feels to me like he's exploring the boundaries of what this personality is, how far he can go with it. Right. And the more he drinks of it, the more of an asshole he becomes. The yeah. more of the, what is it, the id or the superego? What is he becoming? Be right now? He's the ego, right? Or the id? What is he being right now? Um, id. Yeah, so he is an extreme form of the id, right? Yeah. Everything is about being satisfied in the moment with whatever he wants and to treat everyone else as irrelevant to him. And even the, the, the kind of like somewhat interesting nature he had the first time is completely snowed over by what he's doing in this situation. Yeah, he seems drunk. He seems dismissive. It means he's a noxious drunk in this whole sequence. And then starts to lose it and become the professor while he's playing. Yep. So what he took even more so is like uh, not strong enough to cover up who he really is. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting too, like I was thinking as you were talking, if you're, an, if you're a nerdy guy... And not that I ever was. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, but like, you, you know, and I, I wouldn't even say if you're a nerdy guy. In life, sometimes you'll see people get away with shit. Yeah. And you'll go, how is it that is wrong, horrible, awful? Why are they getting the girl, the money, the job, the whatever? Very true. And, you know, somewhere back in your mind, there might be a fantasy of 
what if I did all those things? Right. And once you learn, because in the basic Jekyll and Hyde concept is that there is some moral thing yeah. in your mind and what happens if that goes away? Right. What if that thing that is restraining you, which again, maybe we are too have to go into Freud, which would be the superego. Yeah. The superego, which is seen sitting above everything and going, no, you shouldn't do that, goes away. Well, then the id's just going to go free. Exactly. I hadn't thought about it, Freud, until you brought it up, but maybe maybe we have to get into that. I mean, we saw that in the Seinfeld episode when George was uh, anti-George. He did everything against what George would normally do. That worked opposite. (laughs) He had the opposite George, right? Opposite George. And he ends up having that uh, sequence with one of our friends, uh, one of Vicky's friends. Oh, that's right. uh, McFarlane, I think her last name is. Yeah, that she's the actress who plays the girl that leans out the window and everything. Yeah. It's brilliant. Um, And, uh, I mean, he's just so horrible. Like, his treatment of the waitress who he calls Vampira. Hey, you're cute. Like a black widow spider. Shut your mouth and just take the order, lady. I've decided that I shall not continue to flight with the fuel I got. So give me a boiler maker and heavy on a boil. Go on, go on, go on, come on, come on. I haven't got all night. There are a few things that make me angrier than watching people be rude to waiters and waitresses. Agreed. I just like, you know. I don't like it either. Yeah, if you haven't been there, they're working hard. You shut up. Yeah. Yeah, it really bugs me. I've had a few friends do that. It drives me in fucking sick. Yeah, it drives me nuts. Um, and, and as you say, he goes back to the piano. He doesn't even get through the song. No. And, and he starts to transform. And, and throughout this whole sequence, by the way, she has been asking, why did you run out of me? Yeah. Why did you run out of me? Why did? And he goes, well, I'm going to tell you. He didn't tell her. Nope. And now he bugs out again. Um, is this where she says, why are men always leaving me? Uh, I think or so. Or is it one more time? No, well, she also has, well, this is where she definitely has the line. I feel like the girl on her wedding night whose absent-minded husband goes home to his mother for dinner. Yes. Directed direct to camera, mm-hmm. which is sort of interesting. Um, we go back to class. <laughs> Apparently, Buddy's drinking Oof. translate to Professor Kelp's hangover. Yes, one of the funniest sequences. Well, I, what I always wonder, there's certain things that are cliches in film that are not really real. Right. Like, and this is the, when you have a hangover, every si- quiet noise is really loud. Yeah. And this is probably the best of those. You know, we have, you know, someone closes a book, which is actually the recording is of the inside of a safe of a Bank of America safe being slammed that they might. <laughs> the sneeze, there's a sneeze and that's a grizzly bear. Uh, I've never had hangovers, so I don't know what this you is. Never like. had a hangover? No, I don't get hangovers. Wow. Yeah, it's a weird thing. Like I just drink, wake up the next morning, I'm good to go. And other people are just like, they cannot function. They're dead to the world. I certainly had a hangover, but yeah. I've never had this like loud noise. Yeah, things. some people do. Some it, people are like, they can't even look at the sun. It's like one of the other ones I always think of is that in, in comedy movies, if a man gets kicked in the balls, his voice becomes really high. <laughs> this doesn't happen. This does not happen. <laughs> no, no one who goes, oh my God. Uh, right. That doesn't, that's not reality. Nobody he sucks helium when they get kicked in the <laughs> no, balls. it's right. true. We go back to the purple pit. Uh, he's singing and again having trouble controlling his voice. We're back in class and he's talking about carbon dioxide and then he says, it's always been a gas. Yeah. And we see that some of the professor is going yeah. into Buddy Love and some of Buddy Love's going to the and professor. And she's noticing too. Yeah, she's, yeah. something's going on here. Yeah. Um, and now it's time for, we're going to have a study body meeting with uh, Dr. Warfield, who's the president of the college and that we're talking about prom yeah which i didn't know the college maybe in 1963 they had prom i guess so we're gonna have a big event and we're talking about having the limelighters and comedy routines <laughs> and they say the person we really want is buddy love he's our leader he's our leader yeah <laughs> uh 
yeah. Which I think is Jerry Lewis's slight uh, slam at the kids uh, of that time. Yeah. I think that's his way of saying they're so misguided and they think they're cool. And they're yeah. Like, well, this is that weird disconnect between like the studio yeah. age and the kids. You know, it's kids these days. Yeah, kids kind these of days. thing. Right. Um, and Warfield says, "Fine, I don't need to meet this buddy love." I actually do. This scene did make me laugh. Right. I think this scene is funny. It's very funny. Uh, buddy love comes in to have this meeting with Warfield and immediately takes over. I love that he just appears. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And he's looking over him and he's just sitting there and he's got his feet on his desk. And he's well, having again, the conversation. He seems to have some kind of magic powers. Again, yeah. yeah. And just when he's about to be dismissed, yeah. he uses the stro- ego stroking thing yeah. by talking to him about his suit and he should be on. He should be in. And then he makes a reference to Dean Martin yep. in this sequence, which is interesting. Yeah. And then he walks like Dean, making fun of how Dean walks. And then he tells him he, sh- he can play Hamlet and he does. He pulls his pants down, gives him a crown from his own hat, an umbrella. It, what he does, this guy is so crazy. It's amazing. And continues to stone. And the one thing that I missed was I didn't understand why the secretary didn't walk in on him standing with his pants down. Oh. I so expected that to be the button on the scene, probably and it's not. not. Probably because that's inappropriate. <laughs> Actually, you know what? You're probably right. That's probably that's right. probably what it is. Yeah. Um, anyway, and at the end, he just goes, see a prom doc. Yeah. And, and, and the Warfield is so snowed by him, he just, yeah, okay. Right. Um, it happens when you stroke someone's ego. All of a sudden, they like you. Yeah. Anyone wants to come and stroke mine, they will get a similar <laughs> response. Um, All right. So, so now we have the professor sitting with two notes. One note is you have to, you must come be a chaperone at yeah. the prom. That's to the professor. And one note, buddy, love, you're going to come perform. Yeah. This is classic comedy. One sweet note and one yeah. very firm mean yeah. note. Yeah. Yeah. We go to the prom. We have Les Brown and his band of renown. I, this is a very expensive prom. Yeah. Look at that. I don't, my, my prom didn't have a fucking 12-piece band. No. Like orchestra. That's amazing. No. We, had a, we had a good local band. But Les Brown and his band of renown, this is, look, it's not Benny Goodman, but this is one of the big bands of all time. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, and we go down a line of a lot of chaperones. Yep. Seems like 30 people until we end up on... Uh, uh, Professor Kelp, and he just can't help but move to the music. I love this sequence. I love the dancing, the joy. Of, if you're a person who loves to dance when music plays, and I'm one of those people, this sequence really works for you. Just the whole moving around and everything. It's it's prime Jerry Lewis doing what he does best with his body. You know, mm-hmm. funny, but still good. Like funny, but not dumb. Funny, but not clumsy. Funny, but good. Well, if you watch... Um, a guy who had zero dance training. Yeah. He does a lot of dance where yeah. he can keep up. Yes. I mean, he, you know, like Chaplin, you know, he's yeah, one of these point. people who has great physical control over his body. Mm-hmm. And he, and it's interesting, like what I've kind of sensed from him is he likes to both prepare carefully and also let it go. Yes. And do, he wants to do it in one take and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. Yeah. And I think that's what's happening in this dance. He gets shut down though from the dancing by by uh, Dr. Warfield, who sends him off to get some lemonade. And who does he meet at the lemonade bowl? Miss Purdy. Miss Purdy, yeah. Hi, Professor. Oh, Stell. Stell? Oh, oh, that is uh, Miss Purdy. I'm sorry. Uh, how are you? Are you uh, having a good time, dear? And he's kind of trying to get some information about how she really feels about Buddy Love. Yeah. 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 Um, and while he's doing that, he also puts his arm in the punch bowl. Yeah, of course he does. Um, <laughs> and she's really nice to him. And again, we go to like, she what is. is her? What are her feelings about mm-hmm. this professor? Like, who is she choose? And what's interesting is the way he grabs her hand makes her remember Buddy. The way Buddy grabbed her hand. Oh, I didn't and, notice that. Yeah. yeah so she, you're right. Yeah. It's her first like real big hint that this guy 
might not be all he's like the professor himself might not be all he's he, she right. thinks he is yeah or might be more than might be more yeah, yeah. and she because she and she says things like she values intelligence yeah and she talks about revealing the inner man and and it's this weird thing of is she talking about buddy mm-hmm. or is she talking about kelp oh but he should know i don't want to step on him maybe someday i'll get to prove it to him if he ever unlocks that inner man and Let's him loose so that I can grab him and hold him. Mm-hmm. And we can't really know. Um, Even though she is, it seems like she's talking about Buddy because she says, she says, I'd like him to reveal his inner man. Because right. he's like, well, maybe he's afraid to show you his inner man right. because he's built up this defense mechanism to be this way so that he's not made fun of or beat up. Well, and, and, and that's and, important. And, and whether, she might be talking to Buddy. Yes. But. Both of those, th- those apply to both. Professor Kelp is hearing right. what she's saying. Exactly. But that doesn't stop him from going off and it's like, I got to go become Buddy Love. One more time. Because I got to, well, we don't know one more time, right. but we know he's got a show. Yeah. Show must go on. He's got a show. Yeah. Shows up back to his minor bird talking uh, <laughs> pet. Who It's really strange because it goes from like going, oh, it's repeating things he says to now just not only having conversations yeah, with him, on. but making suggestions. Yeah, exactly. And, um, that's a nice uh, plot device when you could just have a, <laughs> a bird kind of give you the answers to the scene. But that bird, unfortunately, right now has chewed up the formula. Right. Um, and the only place to get the formula is what we set up before. we got to call mom and dad. Right. And then he makes a formula, but maybe it's not going to be enough. Right. Um, he, so, says, he even says it. This yeah, will have to be enough. have to be enough. So Les Brown introduces him. It is a uh, humble, subtle... That he wrote, that Buddy Love wrote. (laughs) Introduction that Buddy Love wrote, yeah. Yeah, that is like the greatest entertainer of all time. I love it. It's so funny. Ladies and gentlemen, presenting the world's greatest everything. (laughs) The best dressed, the swingless performer, and one of the nicest guys in the whole world. Here he is, the 1963 senior proms answer to Don Juan, Mr. Buddy Love. In walks Buddy, who's completely dismissive to Les Brown. Yeah. Uh, and does a whole song. Yes. Which he gets through. Yes. Starts to do a second song. Black Magic. Black the one, Magic. The first one he did, yeah. Does not get very far. Nope. And then he stands up, and he's going to make a speech. I do really like this speech. Yeah. And I, this is one of the things I really remembered from when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I really, I, you know, it's like I remember the transformation. I remembered some Buddy Loves. So I remembered a couple gags and I remembered this speech. Yeah. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm uh, not usually at, uh, <clears throat> I'm not uh, usually at a, a, a loss for words. Uh, <laughs> but if you just uh, uh, bear with me a moment, I think I might uh, be able to explain. I think this is so impressive what he does. And this is where I keep going back to like, mm-hmm. I didn't love the movie, but I am impressed. Yeah. Because what he does in this speech is blend the two characters in this arc mm-hmm. that goes slowly from one to another. Yep. I mean, in addition to creating two totally different characters and portraying them on screen, he now is going to do like a perfect um, uh, ellipse curve on the graph from love to kelp. Yeah. It's really impressive. It is. My only complaint yeah. is that it's not an earned moment. And I mm. think because we don't see him struggling with being buddy love, we see him struggling with the after effects of being love, being buddy love. We don't see him struggling with having to oh. run back and become buddy love, which is what I think Eddie Murphy's version does better. Mm. Eddie's Mur- Eddie Murphy's version, I think, 
mines the true humanity of this character more and fleshes it out so that when he has the same speech at the end of his version of Nutty Professor, it is far more powerful overall, even though Jerry Lewis's speech is fantastic at the end of Nutty Professor, I think Eddie's has more weight to it. Well, you know what I think is the difference is that Kelp in Jerry Lewis's Professor, yeah, he's a caricature. I, I, oh. I do I do feel for him a little bit. Right, of course but, you do. But, but Eddie Murphy's Clump is, I feel for him a lot. Yes. He is, I really care. He's a really nice person. Yes, he is. You know what I mean? Like, Professor Kelp is actually not nice. Like, you never see him have genuine human interactions with anyone because right. he's such a freak. Right. Whereas Clump, you can see the shyness and the wanting to be friends and right. you know, all that's those things. That's why I think he, got it, he did it yeah. better. Yeah, because yeah. that's that sequence when he takes... What's her face home? Uh, Janet Jackson, I think, is in the first one, or who's? No, no, it's Jada Pinkett. Jada Pinkett takes yeah. Jada Pinkett home after he's been embarrassed by a young Dave Chappelle in the club. Right. It starts to rain. He walks down the steps with the newspaper over his head, and then he takes it down and says, "Fuck it, let it yeah. rain on me because I don't. I'm not worthy to be dry." And yeah. that's a powerful moment into his psyche. And you don't have any of that in the. In well, it's a. Profession. I mean, the, the, I think the the. Um, analog to that moment is the football player bullying him. Yes. But the football player bullying him is not the Dave Chappelle teardown. No. no. The Dave Chappelle teardown hurts. The football player bullying him is silly. You it's know? the physical confrontation. Yeah, yeah. And it doesn't, we don't have any real heart to it. Right. You know? And so, and and this is part of, because this is where I do kind of, so you, let's talk yeah, about the speech sure. where yeah, you get yeah. to, so he goes through this speech and the speech gets to this line that you mentioned. Yeah. I don't want to be something that I'm not. I didn't like being someone else. At the same time, I'm very glad I was. Because I found out something that I never knew. You might as well like yourself. Just think about all the time you're going to have to spend with you. It's such a great line. And that's a great line. And by the end of it, he is fully transformed back to the professor. Yeah. In a series of kind of stages. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And what's funny to me is everyone seems moved by his speech yeah. and not freaked the fuck out right. by the fact that they watch this guy go through some mental some mutation. To right. Get, like, holy shit. That's, that key, like, Which is, again, what Eddie gets right. Because yeah. everyone freaks out when Eddie switches from being the fact, from being a fat guy to Buddy Love. Yeah. I mean, from Buddy Love to, the, to, to the fat guy. being the overweight professor again. Yeah. Professor Clump, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. They, they, they don't apparently react to that. No. Um, They're more moved by the speech. By the speech. But he does apologize which is really tender. He says that you know, I didn't mean to hurt anybody. If I hurt anybody, I apologize. And I really like working here at this job. Yeah, And I nice. love everyone here. Like, it's an honest moment. It's him coming out of his shell as uh, Buddy Love has helped him come out of his shell a little more and speak his feelings, you know, in a way that he probably wasn't able to, like, which is what he referred to in the dance with Miss Purdy. So, well, maybe the inner man, right. letting the inner man out. You know? But the, the thing that's, and this goes to your point about the Eddie Murphy version yeah. as well, is he says he apologizes, but it's not really earned because he mm. doesn't, you don't ever have the sense that he's f actually feeling bad about things that Buddy Love did. You know what I mean? There's not right. a real connection to the damage that he yeah. did and that he was mean and rude and punched this guy and, you know, I mean, right. insulted these people. Like, he, he's not, you don't feel that he's really feeling that. Okay. He's just kind of saying, hey, if I, if I hurt anybody, I apologize. Okay. You know? I, I don't 100% agree, but all right. Okay. Um, he goes backstage. Yeah. Stella shows up. She's just 100% into him. Yep. I would think 
<laughs> if you just got this bombshell dropped on you, that you might be a little hesitant, but she essentially proposes marriage mm-hmm. in this She does. Moment. Yeah. She says, uh, I'm a professor's wife. Yeah. I couldn't be Buddy Love's wife, but I could be your wife. Well, it's like, wow, okay. Let's just we, do it. Yeah, we got to get right to the ending. I guess so. You um, didn't even have to get on one knee. No. He, she, well, and she doesn't even really even know this guy. No, not really. You know, uh, um, yeah, it's very... It's strange. It's very 60s. It's 60s. It's like, what? It, yeah. but that is not all, folks. No. <laughs> because we go to the classroom. Right. He's teaching his class. He has some braces on his teeth. Yeah. And his hair is a little better. She's changing him. She's changing right, him. for the better. And who comes barreling in but mom and dad? Yeah. Weird. <laughs> it's weird. Such a weird ending. <laughs> um, and dad is clearly taking the potion. And he is a complete jerk to mom he who is. he's been to. And he is selling this stuff for a dollar a bottle or something. Right. Yeah. And then the, you find out the dean has taken it as well. The dean is all into it. What and is this all about? Is this the end of the movie, this thing? Yeah. I mean, right? I mean, and the students are, and the students all want to take it. The students rush up and what is he saying? Yeah. Have we learned anything? Well, well, and we have to get to the most important right, one, go. which is that, and then uh, Stella says, oh, let's get out of here. Yeah. And this is no big deal. Let's just go get married. We're going to live our lives. We have our marriage license. And they turn to walk down the hallway. And what does she have in her back pockets? Two bottles of the formula. Yeah. What the hell? Well, what the what does that mean? Exactly. Because what it means to me is like she's marrying the professor, but she wants a little bit of buddy love sometimes. She does. She yeah. does. And if he has to take a little bit to be buddy love, she'll take it. That's weird. That's weird. That's what I find weird about the movie. <laughs> the ending almost undercuts the entire speech. He does. I, I, I think it does. Right? Because then the dad shows up and he's Yes, he was beat up by his wife, or verbally rather, by his wife and stuff. But the, to go the reverse isn't the right answer either, where no. he's domineering her. And then the kids learned nothing because they're running off to buy, the, running up to him to buy this formula that he just said, I apologize for using and I apologize for hurting people and blah, blah, blah. And I just, you know, I was nervous and I just I did what I did because I wanted to impress somebody and I shouldn't do that. I need to be me. Well, and the, and person, then the kids run up and buy the fucking yeah. bottles at a dollar. It makes no sense. Well, and the person that seems to be the moral center of the whole film, which is Stella. Yeah. She's like the core. Right. She has two bottles in her back pockets. That's what I said at the beginning. I don't know what her motivations are because she has a harder edge to her than just this sweet, innocent person that you sometimes see throughout the movie. She has her own way of dealing with other things in her life. Well, and this is where I go to like, does Buddy Love have super magical powers? Yeah. Or is he just... Or are we saying that people are just attracted to assholes, you know? And people are attracted to assholes they really to some are. degree. I used to be so, oh man, those were the days. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Seems like there's a lot there. We're going to move right along. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, well, this is all, but the, the other thing we had to say is like, yeah. and we, I think we kind of said this on um, Some Like It Hot. Yeah. It's sometimes a joke is just a joke. Yes, you true. Know? Maybe and, it was and, just a joke. And yeah, he just right. thought it was funny. Yeah, sure. And that's and why it is funny. It. And, it, and it is funny. Right. That is a good little button. It's on a the good nature joke, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if it's good natured, but it's true. <laughs> um, uh, and then we get, which is this really fun thing, which I genuinely like, is they all take curtain calls. Yes, like yeah. a play. Like a play. Right. Well, one of the, some of the things I learned about Jerry Lewis, one is that he doesn't mind breaking the fourth wall. Clearly. Another thing I found interesting is he always shot on open sets. So what he did, he had a big oh, yes. sign that said, Jerry Lewis shooting here, set open, and anyone who was on the Paramount lot could come in and watch them shoot. Yeah. There's something really brave about that. Mm-hmm. There's something that shows someone who likes to be in the center, like gets some yeah. juice off of being in the center of, te- of attention. 
and there's something really arrogant about it, <laughs> you know, and this is this thing where we get with Jerry Lewis. Yeah. You know, that's this mix. Yeah. And the, you know, we talked about a lot of arrogant people. Sure. On, you know, you don't, you know, whether, you know, there are a lot of great filmmakers who believe that they were right, who are not easy to work with, right. whether it's Coppola or Ridley Scott or Kubrick or Chaplin or, you know, anybody yeah. or James Cameron on and on and on. Sure. There are these characters and, and, and Jerry Lewis is one of them, mm -hmm. you know, and that you can't, you can't be what he was and not be that kind of person yeah. to some degree. Yeah. But he also rubs me the wrong way. <laughs> Fair. You know? You know, watching that documentary is like, ooh, I, I don't <laughs> want to be around this guy. Yeah. It's hard. I agree. Um, we talked about influences. We got a list a bunch of them. Sure. I don't think there's Chevy Chase. I don't think there's Jim Carrey. No, there's no. There's definitely no Jim Carrey without yeah. Jerry Lewis. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, Eddie Murphy. Yes. That's a huge part of him. You yeah. know, uh, Peter Sellers, another guy oh, who yeah, I think absolutely, absolutely influenced by Eddie Yeah, because Peter Sellers did that in, in Dr. Strangelove, which yep. we must Playing, get to at some point. No, I... I I think it's I see, soon. Yes. There's a lot of things going on in the world right now. We got to get to it before we die. Yeah. We got to get to it <laughs> yeah, before we die. Seriously. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, definitely Peter Sellers. is hugely influential. And that's him as the actor. And there's also him as the director. Yep. Not just video assist, but the, you know, visual jokes like the, like the Zucker brothers and the airplane mm -hmm. movies. And they did a lot of things that I think come from Jerry Lewis. Absolutely. Hugely influential. Yeah. Guy. I agree with you completely. So. John, yes. Do you have final thoughts yeah. on the Nutty Professor? I think Nutty Professor is a fantastic film to, for you to go back and try to enjoy and appreciate for the time it was made, and you see the the comedic genius of Jerry Lewis in these moments, and see him play two different distinct characters, and does not have a typical female lead doing the typical female things right she pushes back she stands her ground she snaps back mm -hmm. yes does she still find it a fascination form of course if she didn't we wouldn't have a movie but she stands her ground and she you know she isn't easily won over and her mystery is to understand it and her whole goal is to understand it so she can move past it her goal isn't to understand it so she can be with it and she says this like i want i just want to understand it so i can so i can get past it and that's what she says and so that's the thing so i love that it's unconventional in that way um it's a fun movie to explore and analyze and me personally i saw jerry lewis live five years ago oh wow uh no no four years ago at um one of the oh i think at the samuel goldwyn theater one of those theaters uh on wilshire boulevard uh and i it was a friend of mine suggested to get tickets. I got tickets, went with my girlfriend at the time. We sat and it was one of the best nights I've ever had. Really? He was what in his not in a, a late eighties. He's sitting there sharp as a tack, sitting on the chair, making jokes, interacting with it. We got to add people got to ask questions and it was sold out. It was right. huge. And they went through his movies and one of the movies that they stopped and really talked about was nutty professor. And you just heard how all the work he did in creating the film, all the um, technology at the time, like we said, the video assist stuff, like all of it was where, this is where he got the impetus to be motivated to do this. And so for me, this film represents that and stands for that. And therefore, it should be something that you watch if you have not seen it yet or go back and see it if you haven't seen it in a while. So my final thoughts are, I don't know that I have final thoughts. Mm. It's a movie I didn't like. You know? Okay. And that's, and, and I don't know why. And that's where I'm kind of like, it was, I appreciate so many things about it. And this is where like the split between the film scholar and the historian from the enjoyer and lover of films, mm -hmm. the film scholar and the historian are hundred percent fascinated by this person, and right. this era and what he contributed to our world. 
and the film lover didn't really care. Wow. You know, and so, and I'm really curious to hear how people today react yeah, to yeah, it. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, so, you know, that's, that is in fact what we think yeah. about The Nutty Professor, and I really want to hear what you think. <laughs> um, as always, you can reach us on our Facebook page, that's at The Cinephile, C-I-N-E-F-I-L-E-S. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, on YouTube, on Stitcher. You can leave comments on YouTube. You can leave reviews on iTunes, and we really do need those reviews. So if you're new to the podcast and you haven't given us a review yet, please take a minute and just jot something down. It really does help us move up in the rankings. It's yeah. really important. Um, as we mentioned in the show, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash the cinephiles. Um, there's all sorts of offers here. We just released a uh, special audio segment on cheeseburgers. Cheeseburgers! And it might be that those dragnet fans out there, the only way to hear us talk about it, it might be on our Patreon page. Yeah. Uh, and one last thing, we now officially have a website. Yes. It's at cinephiles, C-I-N-E dash F-I-L-E-S dot net. Know the cine-files.net every single podcast we've ever done is there and you can buy every single movie we've reviewed so if you want to watch the films before they come before we have our listening to our podcast you can buy them there or if you listen to one of our podcasts and you go man that film sounds really cool yeah click on the link buy the movie it really helps us a lot and mm-hmm. we're going to build more things into that website as we go along absolutely Absolutely, yeah. yeah. As always, you can reach me on Twitter at SR Morris. John, where can they reach you? They can always reach me at The Roca Says, R-O-C-H-A, on Twitter and on Instagram. And, of course, see all the stuff I'm doing at Collider now. I can't even tell you, like, when it's happening because it's always, like, <laughs> it's last... Constant. Yeah, it's constant. It's, it's like, constant. last week it was seven things in two days. So wow. you just never know when the opportunity is going to come up. So just watch my stuff over at Collider. I'm having a really great time there and doing the show with you, Steve. There you go. And That's, the Top Ten Show, of course. The Top Ten Show is fantastic. Yes. I just binged about four of them. Oh, did you really? Oh, thank you, Steve. Really good. That's very kind. Really good. I like the heist one a lot. Yeah, that was was a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. So that's it for this week. We will see you next time on the Cinephiles. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.